Hello and welcome to the Clubhouse, Golf Monthly's weekly look at the various different events around the world in golf. It's been a long three months, but the PJ Tour is back. Today, we'll have a full preview of this week's Charles Schwab Challenge. Hi guys, this is Ben Wiesberger and welcome to the Golf Monthly podcast. Hello and welcome to the Clubhouse, supported by our friends at Titleist, the number one ball in golf. To find out more, go to titleist.co.uk. Hello and welcome. My name is Tom Clark, and this week I'm joined by Elliot Heath. Hi, Elliot. Hi, Tom. And also Nick Bonfield. Hi, Nick. Hello, Clazer. How are you getting on? All good, thank you. This week on the Clubhouse, we've got a very busy schedule with a look at the PJ Tour returning and also uh, some great audio from one of our long-time contributors, Kevin Murray, about the best golf courses that he's uh, photographed. But before we get to any of that, I think the most important thing is we need to find out how well Elliot played at the weekend. Elliot, how did you play? Uh, Better, yeah. I I won my first match. This is our first four ball. So it was great to be back in a four ball. I know there's lots of talk about people enjoying quick two ball golf, but... Yeah, no, it's great to be back in the four. That's what I love about golf. Uh, we were around in three hours and 45 minutes as well, so it wasn't too slow. Uh, lost loads of balls. The rough is really thick at the moment. So, yeah, it's very wayward on the back nine. But, yeah, good. Uh, better than you, probably. If you're wayward off the tee these days, Elliot, with how short you hit it, that's not a recipe for future success. I actually hit the ball quite far at the moment, Nigel. Thanks. Oh, good, good on you. Yeah. yeah. Two, two very short hitters arguing amongst each other. That's great. Uh, so, Elliot, you've actually reversed the post-lockdown curse then, and uh, you've actually had a win. Yeah, my dad was on fine form. He started the back nine, par, 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 when we were already mm. three up or something. So, yeah, it was very clutch. Is that a West Byfleet? Yeah. That tenth hole's a beast as well. <laughs> I know. I couldn't believe it. But, yeah, listeners, there's a, a good story we want to tell you as well. So, um, Tom played his first round on Friday. Hit a lovely iron off the tee, and uh, I won't reveal too much more. But I, I messaged him on Skype when he sent us the video, and I said, uh, "Well done for not shanking it, Tom. <laughs> what happened next?" You've you've set you've you try and nick my story here by actually just telling my story. But yes, I did play my first round on Friday, uh, which I was over the moon about. Uh, we got a little bit wet. We managed to pick the only day it's rained in about the last three months, but it was all good. And I did hit an iron down the first fairway, which is about 360-yard par four, I think it is, something along those lines, maybe a little bit shorter than that. Hit a five iron, and I hit the best tee shot I think I've ever hit on that hole, and I played it a few times. Dead centre, had, I think, a nine iron in, or an eight iron in, something ridiculous like that. And I hit one of the biggest shanks I've ever hit in my life, and it went (laughs) into someone's back garden. So uh, I'm glad I didn't do that on the first day because I've had, I've hit that shot on the first day. It would have gone into the car park. So um, it was a bit comedy. I had seven points on the front nine and 17 on the back nine. So uh, it wasn't about the scoring. It was about um, just enjoying it. And it was good fun. So um, yeah, it was great fun. Nigel, have you yes. played yet? Very jealous of you two. You know, my golf clubs are still locked in the office <laughs> in Farnborough, unfortunately. And I'm in South London with no car. So it's not, a, not an ideal situation that I find myself in. But I believe Mike is around about now, actually, Mike Harris, our editor, going to pick them up for me very kindly <laughs> and then hopefully transporting them to where we're playing golf next Friday, I believe. 
Uh, then I just need to figure out how to get there safely. So, yes, not having a car in these times isn't ideal. For, for the listeners who don't know uh, Nick, we sometimes call Nick Nige, so don't get confused. But um, also, Nick always has these issues. He's always got his golf clubs somewhere where he isn't and where he's not playing golf. So uh, It's um, just because I don't want to take my golf clubs on the tube at commuter time because we've all been really annoyed at those people who do that and I don't want to be one of those people who gets all those glares. Yeah. So you've just got no golf clubs instead. but No, so I leave them in the office and then I ask someone with a car who drives to the office to kindly transport them to where we're yeah. playing golf. It's a foolproof system most of the time, <laughs> just not ideal in a global pandemic. No, <laughs> it's not pandemic-proof, is it? So, it's not. Uh, no, but no I, we, you, you have mentioned there that we're supposed to be playing golf next week, which we're all uh, happy about. I think we're playing at Fox Hills, aren't we? So, um, we are indeed. Lo- lovely course, lovely, lovely place to play golf, Fox Hills. And I haven't swung a golf club since... It was incredibly windy and rainy at Prince's around about Christmas time. So it could be interesting. <laughs> Crikey, Nigel. You haven't played in six months. No. And I played oh. then as well. <laughs> I'm, I'm really looking forward to your first tee shot. Yeah, uh, no. rip it. That uh, makes one of us. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm sure there's lots of listeners out there who have all been playing golf and all having very similar chats with all their buddies about what's happened and all the funny stories that have have occurred and long may that continue we're very lucky as as golfers if you've got golf clubs that is nice that we can go out and play some golf so uh um it's it's really really good fun and um and it's a healthy way to get out there get out of the house escape the family dare i say it I was checking my wife's not staying behind me um, <laughs> and uh you know getting out there get some fresh air and playing a game that we love so fantastic stuff and for the professionals having been in lockdown again for three months or whatever it is, things are about to change this week for them as well with the first proper PJ Tour tournament, the first round of the Players' Championship back in March, which is a long time ago now. So we've got the Charles Schwab Challenge, which is being played at Colonial Country Club in Fort Worth, Texas. And it's got a very strong field. Top five players in the world rankings are all in attendance. First time that's happened at this event since 1986. The 16 of the world's top 20. The purse for the event is still a big one, $7.5 million. And it's, you know, it is a, it's a decent tournament anyway with some some recent winners, including Kevin Nahr last year, Justin Rose in 2018, Spieth in 2016, Adam Scott in 2014. McElroy, Rahm and Kupka were all playing and all paired together for the first two rounds. So it should be really, it's a, it's a proper golf tournament. It's something that we can properly watch. There's going to be some high-class golf going on. And how excited are you guys about it, Elliot? You start. Yeah, it's been a long three months, a long uh, long time talking on this podcast about when golf will return. And uh, yeah, it's finally here. It's like the Christmas holidays are starting for us. It's genuinely exciting. I agree with Elliot. Um, having football back next week and having golf back this week is just, it's hugely exciting and, and I don't think it'll be too different to what we see on a normal Thursday and Friday with featured groups and things like that because if you watch a lot of featured groups coverage there aren't many crowds out there in the morning so I don't think it'll be too dissimilar to a normal Thursday or Friday. I think the big difference will come on the weekend because obviously crowds exert pressure on players especially players who haven't found themselves up near the top of a leaderboard very often in their career so I think that's when we'll see the impact of the lack of crowds. Yeah, and, and, and as you mentioned there, there won't be any crowds for uh, in the PJ Tour for at least a month. When is the first tournament? Where are we expecting crowds? It's Memorial, isn't it? In mid-June, mid-July, sorry. Yes, yeah, so yeah. that's 
about a month away. Uh, up to then, we're not going to see any crowds at the PJ Tour events. Um, there will be players there, obviously. There will be caddies there. Um, they're playing in three balls for the first couple of rounds, but there will be social distancing. It's going to look a little bit odd, but as you say, I don't think it's going to look that weird, isn't it? Weird, is it? I believe they can take the pin out and all that stuff, can't they? Well, I guess the theory is that if they're all being tested two or three times a week, as they are, I believe, and if they're all negative, then they should be able to touch the flags. Are they social distancing between the players and caddies or not? We've heard nothing on that yet, I don't think. There's going to be lots of sanitizer and things like that. But yeah, like you said, once they've tested negative, which they will test negative, otherwise they won't be allowed to play, then yeah, surely they can just get along with their business. It's going to be really weird not to hear the clapping, though. I think that's the thing that is going to be weird for us fans. Because I watched a lot of Bundesliga football recently, and it's it's just not the same without the crowd noise. Then at the weekend, they started to like dub the crowd noise from outside. They have. It I actually think did... it's much better, isn't it, with the crowd noise? Yeah, yeah, much better. Yeah. So maybe that if we get some like clapping going on when somebody has a good shot. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Just, just clap along in your in your living room, you know. <laughs> But you and your your girlfriend clapping along, and then that suddenly you got a, a nice ripple. And then you're um, the, you're from what from what I can see, though, the safety protocols look pretty robust. I guess the only issue that comes, and this is an issue with the virus in general, is that someone can test and then pick it up the next. They could have contracted it, you know, in the between the time that they get tested, and then you know the next day. And then if they don't know, they think they're negative, and then they come into contact with various people. That's when they're going to be serious issues so you would hope they'd have some contact tracing system in place too i haven't actually read too much about that but i assume that's something that's going to be in place too is that am i right or wrong on that score well well no you're right i mean all the track and tracing and all that stuff i mean that's obviously out of really the our you know it's above our pay grade and above the pj tour pay grade they're just getting getting the advice that's given them so i mean the, the three tests that they have to do they have to fill in a questionnaire about their recent travels and health they have to have a temperature check and they have to have a swab test as well so they're the three different tests that they have to have each week and they have to have that and have had negative uh, results for each of those i.e not not um, tested positive um before you're then allowed to properly go around the, the property and access the driving range and things like that. That's from what I believe. Mm. Um, now, obviously, a lot of these things, they're being put up in in hotels and stuff like that, but they're not all in the same hotel. It's, it's, it is a little bit Wild West, I think, and there is still a lot of people at each of these events. Not If you think there's 146 or whatever it is, or 148 players plus 148 caddies, plus the referees, plus the people putting on the event, then the caterers, stuff like that, is mm-hmm. a lot of people. I think it's something like a 1,000, isn't it, Elliot, at each event? Yeah, I know it's at least 700. Uh, but I think what you said there was right, but isn't it true that you, you're not allowed on the golf course until your testers come back negative? Yeah. So you're allowed to practice and go on the short game area whilst your test results are still waiting. But as soon as it comes back negative, that's when you're allowed on the course. Yeah, I think, I think the thing around that is, and what we were saying earlier about the social distancing, whether you've been, you've, if you've tested negative, you still 
I think I've got to be very wary. You haven't got, you're not going to actually go and interact with too many other people, even if they've tested negative. Well, this is the thing, isn't it? You can test negative and then a day later you can have it. At, at some point, the virus has to appear in your system. And if, that, if it appears in your system after the test, then you could have it, but, but test negative, if that makes sense. So I guess that's the issue with, with you know, sports leagues and organisations all around the world trying to combat that. But I think the PGA Tour reading through the protocols have made it as, as safe as they can feasibly make it. Oh, yeah. I mean, there, there is a safer way of doing it, Nice, isn't there? Well, not doing it at all. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's something we've got to, you know, you've got to put out there. There, there is a risk. There's always going to be an inherent risk if you've got a group of people getting together at, the, at these times. We know that. But they want to get the game going again. They want to put some entertainment on the for all the sports fans out there. And they decided that doing it this way is a robust way of doing it. it and absolutely, a... they want to capitalise on the, the huge sporting audience that's absolutely desperate for some live, live sporting action, especially in the States where there's no live sport at the moment. So commercially, it's very attractive to get the players back out on the fairways as well. Of course. And it is unfortunate that money is such a part of this, but it is. I mean, that's something that everyone's got to understand. But um, I mean, I'm hopeful that everything goes well. There's been a couple of questions about what happens if someone does test positive halfway through an event or falls ill halfway through an event what is actually happens then and we i don't think we actually know until that happens hopefully that won't ever that won't happen of course but i think it, it will be interesting i mean they're, they're doing an awful lot even putting on this this uh, jumbo jet to to jet people between tournaments as well which we found out a little bit about the last day or so where I think there's going to be space for about 70 players and their caddies. I think something like that. Is that right, Elliot? Or have I made that number up? Um, yeah, yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, but I, the, be- the, the best thing I found about that, out about that is that if you win the tournament, then you get to go into first class on the, uh, on the, on the chartered plane. You have a, they have a winner's seat and caddy seat. So I'm sure there'll be some good video and pictures on the social media of all the players on these on this private jet as it ejects them to and from the event um it, it's going to be one of these things which we don't know what it's going to be like until we see it and as a, as we've said let's hope that um that things do go well but what can everyone remember pre-lockdown so what do you remember from t- what do you remember who was leading at sawgrass after round one for example before the event was was stopped can anyone remember yeah wasn't it hideki matsuyama at nine under I, I, I can't remember. I was I was at the, at this point. I can't remember. This is why I'm asking questions. I was at Centre Parks this week. I had a family holiday, which I managed to nip in just before lockdown. Luckily, nice and, timing. I know, and I, I can't remember anything that happened at it. I remember well, the commissioner coming on and saying that there were going to be no fans from the Friday, but that the event was going to carry on. And then I remember the next a couple of hours later, him turning doing a U-turn on that, and then saying that the tournament was suspended and the rest of the schedule would be suspended indefinitely. I actually remember that more than what happened on the course. Yeah, no, I, I think I'm with you on that as well. Um, yes, yeah, so I was in Poland at the time. <laughs> so you were in Poland <laughs> trying to get back. I was at yeah. And then I, I heard that the, the players got cancelled and I was very worried. And then I heard that the Masters had been cancelled and I was just absolutely devastated. Yeah. And then I found out that Poland were closing their borders late that evening. So I had to get home via Stockholm which is uh yeah it seems such a long time ago now god yeah crikey uh, but 
but well, I, I remember I, sort of, I, I remember more broader themes about about golf before lockdown as opposed to specifics of that tournament. I remember DJ Kepka, Rose and Spieth being terrible and uh, Rory just being an absolute top five machine. Um, John Rahm playing well, Bryson DeChambeau playing well, too. So it'll be interesting to see if those guys pick up where they left off. And with the guys who weren't in such good form. I think this period would have been very beneficial for them because even though there is a technically an off season in golf, events are still being played in December and events are being played in early January. So they've actually had a nice significant chunk of time here to really analyse what's going wrong and try and put measures in place to try and improve their performance. So I'm actually expecting the likes of Rose and Spieth to come out and, and hopefully have rectified some of their issues and actually start quite strong. Yeah, I think there's a couple of players who uh, would have actually been thankful of this break. Uh, even though it's obviously not in a great situation. Francesco Molinari is another one of those. Yeah, good example. Yeah, he's been in poor form, hasn't he? Yeah, he he was really struggling. Um, Ever since the Masters, really, since he got tigered. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Molinari's not playing this week, so I don't know if he's going to um, stick to the UK swing next month. I know um, Fleetwood's also staying at home as well. A lot of the guys will have been practising a lot, trying to get their stuff their swing in order, also maybe just having a rest from the game as well, because uh, sometimes that obviously does help. Uh, Ricky Fowler, I think, is another one who wasn't, he was doing a lot of swing changes and his swing was looking a bit odd at the start of the year. Um, maybe he's had, he's had a chance to bed those changes in a bit a bit better now as well. Absolutely. Uh, Kep, Kepka too, because don't forget that he was injured at the start of the year, wasn't he? So he's had a nice three-month period for for some recuperation there. Although I don't expect him to do well this week because he hates any golf tournament that's not a major. <laughs> well, we've got some tips later, so we'll, we'll, we'll all start thinking about who you want to tip or who you don't want to tip. And, um, and we'll, we'll go with that. Um, who, who are we intrigued about seeing who is playing this week? I know there's two... Well, there's one person who I'm interested in seeing, that's Justin Rose. Uh, he's obviously been in the headlines a lot over the last couple of months because of his split from Honma. Uh, but then also very positive this week, news that him and his, his wife, uh, Kate, have decided to sponsor the UK Ladies Series golf events, which are happening uh, mainly around England, uh, which is great news for the, for the women's game, isn't it? Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Brilliant. Credit where it's due there to Justin and Kate. Yeah, I hope that a lot of other people of Justin Rose's wealth and influence decide to perhaps join what he's doing because if you get five or six of them together they can raise a, an awful lot of money and make an awful lot of difference to the women's game yeah I think that's that's well said you know we've chatted a lot on this podcast over over this year can we remember the older uh, premier golf league uh, yeah you know, the about that which has obviously um, gone quiet since everything's has happened and there was chat about getting the best players in the world and I said you know what wouldn't it be great if we had some past masters playing, some some of the seniors playing, and of course also some people from the women's game playing? And I think that that kind of is being asked for more and more. You know, we've seen these charity matches being played um, between you know, like Tiger Phil and a couple of American footballers. And actually, you know what? Why don't we get the women's game, what the best players from the women's game playing with Tiger and Phil? I think that would be something that would really intrigue people to see how well these guys can play. So. Um, I think um, a really fair play to, to Justin Rose, and I think it's you know it's great it's a great thing for him to do to put some some something back into the game. Um, he didn't have to do it at all. Did well, that's the point, isn't it? A lot of people will look at the prize pool that he's donating and say, "Oh, that's not very much relative to what he earns." But he didn't have to do it. He's gone out of his way 
put his hand in his pocket to do that. And as Elliot said, if that's combined with three or more people making similar donations, then all of a sudden you start having very attractive prize pools indeed. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, I think that I think for the, the ladies players, they're just happy that they've got some events to play in. But they need some events. And that's what they're really crying out for, because they're really struggling to ha- even have anything happening. So to have just a series Again, kind of what the European Tour uh, are doing with the main men's events, all in one area where they know they can uh, come and do the quarantine for a couple of weeks, get themselves ready and then go out and play some golf. I think it's fantastic. So uh, we really applaud Justin Rose. I know we've, uh, well, I certainly have been a bit critical of of Rose over the past couple of years, especially around his playing schedule. But um, I really think he's back on track and I'm really looking forward to to Rose uh, playing again and doing well. Especially with new clubs in the bag as well. Yeah, absolutely. How do we think that world number one Rory McIlroy is going to do this week? I think he'll pick up from where he left off. Having seen him play in that tailor-made charity match, he was looking great. His swing looks great. His head's in the right place. He looks like he's really maturing now. Obviously, he's going to be loving being world number one. So, yeah, I fully expect him to put another top five in. I'm not sure if he'll win, but... Yeah, I can't see anything other than playing great. Agreed there. And you have to think, the people like Rory who live down in West Palm Beach, who live on these private golf courses, they would actually have been able to play quite a lot of golf during lockdown. And you contrast that with, with some of the English guys who wouldn't have been able to play much at all. I'm thinking of, you know, Matt Fitzpatrick or Matt Wallace, because um, obviously we weren't allowed to play golf in England until quite recently. So I definitely think those American guys who live on golf courses or, or the European guys who live in America and live on private golf estates, have quite a lot of an advantage. I don't know how much golf we played during lockdown, but I certainly know that he lives on a golf course, so that can't have done him any harm. I think he's keeping his eye in. Uh, mm. He would have done anyway. So, uh, yeah, we're, I think we're all excited to see Roy teeing up again. I mean, just, it's, it's such a strong field. You know, you, you look through it, and we're, we're coming on to the betting tips in a, in a minute, but the, some of the odds for some very big-name players are, are really quite long this week because of the talent at the top of the game, you know, Rory's a very short price favourite. So, yeah, looking forward to it. So what, do you think this, what do you think the scoring will be like? Because I think scoring might be slightly lower over the next couple of tournaments because of the lack of fans. However, there's also rustiness to, to factor in as well. So I think maybe once we get through the first one or two tournaments and, and the rust goes away, I think then in the third and fourth tournaments, we can start seeing some very, very low scoring because... Obviously, there are no crowds and it'll just be like playing at your home course a lot of the time, certainly on, on Thursdays and Fridays. So, yeah, I think we'll see a lot of birdies and eagles being made. I mean, PJ Tour, we usually see quite a lot of birdies and eagles anyway, don't we? But, um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see if it makes an effect. It will. And it'd be interesting to see if maybe there's some players who play better without a crowd. Oh, uh, without some, doubt. I mean, I was yeah. I was talking to, to our columnist Wayne Riley the other day and we were saying that if someone finds himself in contention on a Sunday afternoon who's never won a PJ Tour event, it's clearly going to be, I'm not, gonna, I'm not saying it's going to be easy, but it's going to be easier for that person playing in front of, you know, a few other golfers and a few officials as opposed to 10,000 raucous fans, you know, and uh, who have who've had quite a lot to drink on the Sunday afternoon. There's, I don't think there's any question that it's going to be easier to get over the line in those circumstances. Again, not saying easy, but easier. Yeah, something yeah. as well that would be interesting about the fans is players finding golf balls that have gone astray. So Kepka said uh, back in April that he thinks that players are going to lose a lot more golf balls. So, yeah, could you imagine that? The leader just hits one down the trees or something coming home where the fans would always find it. 
and mm. it gets lost. So, and also, there are no fans to trample down the rough, so it's yeah, a much, much trickier lies in the rough, much like, you know, Le Golf National in 2018, where the fans were a long way away from the fairways, and therefore any ball that ended up in the rough resulted in a pretty poor lie. Could be similar this week and going forward on the PGA Tour. Yeah, no, it's, it's interesting. There's loads of things actually to, to look out for. And it's uh, great. Another thing is that uh, there's rumours about some of the players being mic'd up as well so that, that we can hear their thoughts whilst they're playing, maybe their conversations with their caddies and stuff like that. There's rumours of Ricky Fowler and Graham McDowell doing that at the moment. Is that something that you'd like to see more? Yeah, I saw that tweet from uh, Evan Priest, one of our writers. And if that is true, that's brilliant. I mean, Graham McDowell's a brilliant personality. Ricky Fowler, I'm sure, can offer some good insight as well. Um, I'm not sure. It feels gimmicky to me, and I appreciate that now is the time to try these gimmicks. But I don't think I'm in favour of people being mic'd up. Um, I think it works when, you know, you were doing a charity match or something when there's really not that much on the line. But in the heat of battle, are they going to say anything interesting? And are they going to agree to be mic'd up when they're in contention? No, I... I probably would come down against it. But maybe that's oh, just me being a boring traditionalist. Yeah, oh. if G-Mac's in contention, he's not going to be shying away because he's got a mic on. You're going to hear everything that he thinks. It's going to be fascinating. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm with you earlier. I think there's, I mean, there's some other... Where, where it's been having it mic'd up has done well in other sports. Uh, I think, uh, you know, like the rugby referees being mic'd up. I know that's completely different because they're not actually the sports people. But I think that's great to hear the insight that's going on. And then obviously cricket, they either do it with the umpires, but the players now as well, especially if you ever watch like stuff like the Big Bash or anything like that, where they actually have the batsmen or the captains or the bowlers being mic'd up and talking as they're, they're actually playing. I think it's brilliant. And a lot of the actual players, especially if they've got quite a lot of bravado, about themselves, actually love it. They love chatting about their game and what they're going to try and do and everything like that. So um, I think it could give a, a, a good insight. So you, so you think that if G-Max, you know, in the final group on the Sunday, he'll agree to have a microphone on him? Yeah, but, he, but whether he'll have... Or, them... or this arrangement just for the first and second rounds when there's not really much pressure? It depends. I, I would like to see that. I'd be really interesting to see someone in contention have a microphone, but I suspect they won't agree to have a microphone on them if they're in the heat of battle on a Sunday because it just adds a bit more pressure. Yeah, and, and when I say they're going to be mic'd up, I don't know whether they'd have, be having a two-way conversation with the commentator. I'm not sure whether that will happen, but if they've just got their, a mic on so that we can hear their conversations and maybe they can, they can talk through their, their thought process... Then that could potentially happen. If you, th- you know, Nigel, you're a massive American football fan. Mm. You think of all the Mike Tup stuff that they do in that. You know, that's stuff, stuff. That's not people having a conversation. That's just the sounds of the game. And no, no, it's great. It's great. And listen, I suppose I'm not anti it. I just, I suspect that we won't get to hear them in the heat of battle. And I really want to hear people mic'd up when there's something really significant on the line. I'm not really that bothered about hearing Ricky Fowler being mic'd up. You know, and first round on a Thursday morning if he agrees to be mic'd up and we can hear everything on a Sunday afternoon when he's in the final group yes I'm in 100% because as you were saying the big bash is great and the reason it's great is because you can hear them when they're they're bowling or batting in significant moments but if they don't I just I'm not sure they'll consent to being mic'd up in those situations but I could be wrong but we don't have much information on this do we so I guess we just have to wait and see how it plays out it's it's just a report I I, sorry I get what you say Nigel but this is a PJ Tour event. It's not just a 
you know, a friendly knock with pals, like the whole thing is going to be serious. Yeah. Mm, yeah, but you think the the intensity of a first or second round versus the intensity of a Sunday. We'll, we'll see how it plays out because we don't have enough information to make a judgment call. But I only want to hear these people being mic'd up. I think if they're if they're in the in the thick of battle, shall we say? Yeah. So who do we think is going to do well this week? So I've done our betting tips for this week already. So if you Google golf betting tips and click on the golf monthly. Uh, posts or you can come to the golf monthly website of course golf and life monthly.co.uk um now who have i gone for so my my first tip is kupka he is 23 to 1 with some book i think he's actually as long as 25 to 30 to 1 with some bookies which i think is just too long odds for someone who finished second there two years ago so he has got form at that course. I think he likes playing in events when there's going to be a lot of eyes on him and there's going to be a lot of eyes this week because of the return to golf. So that's my first tip. Anyone else would like to give someone, give out uh, any ideas on who's going to do well? I'm going to go and say John Spieth. Because of what I said before, I really think that he would have put in a lot of work, whether that's physical or mental, during this hiatus. And I think he'll come out firing i honestly do and throw in the fact that he's from texas throw in the fact that he's won on this golf course before throw in the fact that his record on this golf course is incredible and also throw in the fact that it's a very short golf course relatively speaking so he won't need to hit that many drivers and i think he's got a i mean he probably wouldn't have been able to wish for a better venue to to restart the pga tour season yeah that's, yeah I, I hope you're right nodes go on Elliot, who do you think uh i'm going to go a long way down 150 to 1, going to put a pound each way on Jim Furyk. (laughs) Didn't see that coming. Well, I saw some results from the weekend from just a little, uh, a very mini event that was played. And Jim Furyk was right near the top of the leaderboard, something like 12 under par for two rounds. And uh, yeah, he's still got it, hasn't he? He's. uh, I love that. Great insight there, Elliot. I mean, I don't know where on earth you found those results from or what the tournament it is, but uh, I like that there is actually just reasoning that you haven't just picked a name that you've seen in the odds. Yeah, uh, Eric Van Broyen, it's down at 150 to 1 as well. He was playing great golf before the restart. Uh, and yeah, I can just see, a com- not a complete randomer, but, you know, a, a real outsider winning this week. And, uh, someone, someone who I was going to mention is uh, is Phil Mickelson, who's 125 to one this week. Obviously, very very long odds. I know, he, you know, if you look at his results this year, he's played six times before lockdown. He missed the cut four times and finished third the other two times. He's just so on it or not on it is ridiculous. And he's obviously won at that event twice before. So I think 125 to one Mickelson, who's still 70th in the world. Uh, I don't think it's awful odds. Oh, I think that's a good call, actually. I, had, I hadn't realised it was so long. I might actually pop a bit, pop a couple of quid on him there. Um, what do you have the? I actually, apologies, don't have the odds in front of me. But what what odds are Justin Rose, Plaza? Have you got those? Yeah. So yeah. So uh, Rose is another one of the guys that I backed in my betting tips. We're giving away all my betting tips before people have looked. But he's at, he's fifty to one. That, that's gets, great odds for someone who's who's. He's the kind of guy who would have been very studious in the off-season, so not the off-season, in the hiatus. He's probably 
bedded in his new equipment now. He would have had plenty of time to bed his new equipment in. It's his sort of sort of golf course, a ball striker's course. And also, let's not forget, a couple of years ago, he was absolutely rampant on his way to victory, wasn't he? I mean, he, he beat Kepka by, a, by several shots, I think, and, and played some pretty flawless golf on that Sunday. So for him to be 50-1 to 1, seems quite generous. Yeah, I agree. That's why I'm pitching. So, yeah, so for the rest of our betting tips, do check out the uh, Golf Monthly uh, web posts, as, as mentioned already. So we're going to now move on to a bit of audio, as mentioned earlier, from our, one of our renowned photographers, Kevin Murray who uh, was talking to digital editor Neil Tappen about some of the favourite golf courses that he has shot in the past. This is some really interesting stuff about golf courses all around the world, so I hope you enjoy it. Before we get going and go through your list, just tell us a bit about yourself. Tell us a bit about your work as a course photographer, your, you know, background in golf. Give, us, give everyone a bit of an interest who you are. Okay, well, I've, I've been in advertising all of my career, and I've been working in the golf industry for about 25 years. Um, I was credit director on the Callaway Golf account uh, for about five or six years, and then I set up my own business, Bandit Design, purely to work in the golf industry. And then I had an opportunity to do some work for the Lynx Trust at St. Andrews. They gave me a photograph I didn't like. I went out and took a sample shot, said this is what I'd like the shots to be, how they, how they should look. We'll find a photographer to do them. I'll art direct. Uh, and then the Lynx Trust said, look, why don't you take some shots? And I hadn't even thought about it, Tappers, um, in that respect. And they said, we'd like you to shoot all of the Lynx golf courses at that time. That was like 15 years ago. So that was a baptism of fire. Didn't even have a proper camera. And then since then, um, I've shot nearly 500 golf courses worldwide. And of course, I've done all the work with um, with Golf Monthly, which again is another side of the story, which I love doing because that's working with you guys and with the players. So, yeah. Many of the, the cover shots that you will have seen, the players that you've seen on the cover of Golf Monthly or in the magazine. Well, let's get into it then, uh, starting with number 15 in your list and Bermuda and uh, a golf course called Port Royal. That's right, Port Royal. Um, it's a beautiful golf course. We've been going out there for like the last 30 years for family holidays. And I think for me, Port Royal is probably my favourite out of all of them. It's got um, this amazing par 3 16th, uh, which from a visual point of view is extremely frightening because all you've got is ocean on the left-hand side. Uh, you've got a massive kind of steep wall on the right-hand side, but that's not really a bailout hole. And uh, it's got, you know, there's just something about it. It's very undulating. They've now got the um, PG, uh, PGA Tour event there every year for the next four years. But it's a great golf course, a real challenge. Um, yeah, if you're ever over in, um, in Bermuda, Port Royal, give it a go. So moving on, in Turkey. It, yeah, it's Likia, uh, Likia Links in Turkey. It's, uh, it's, it's on that Belex uh, strip. I mean, I think there's something like 16 different golf courses down there, and they're all spectacular. Most of them have been built through the pine trees. Um, the, there was in that area uh, to protect the farming. They put this kind of wall of uh, pine trees up against the coast. And what they've now done is they've allowed the golf courses to be developed. Um, each individual pine tree is numbered and protected. What I like about Lichia is it's totally different. 
because it is a proper Lynx golf course. But what really makes this unique is the bunker, and they've got these kind of sleepers um, in, in most of the bunkers, which, again, from a visual perspective, gives it depth, but it also makes it very, very unique. It's a, it's a, it's a good place. Yeah, photographs look absolutely stunning. Yeah. Um, next one on the list, Grand Canaria. So this one is a venue that I think you and I did a, a photo shoot for Golf Monthly here a few years back. You've made a, some lasting friendships <laughs> at this venue, haven't you, Mother? This is Melanaris Golf in Grand Canaria. That's right. I mean, this was actually my first overseas photo shoot for um, Golf Monthly. It was a bit of a, a kind of like baptism of fire for me, having not uh, done a, you know, a, a shoot like that before. But I've been back there several times since. Cam Proctor, who's the director of golf there, has become a very good friend. And But it's also the home course of Rafa. So we've done a few shoots with him there as well. The, the holes from, uh, I think it's the 12th through to the 16th, 16th again goes down the coast on the left hand side you've got a drop of like 100 meters down to down to the beach so yeah it's pretty spectacular pretty spectacular uh the team there are fantastic you'll be looked after in a special way yeah it is it's a, it's a great spot so next one is green monkey it is it is quite a spectacular golf course i've only ever been there once i'd like to go back there again just to sort of like update images but um, the signature hole, which has got the monkey in the bunker, makes for a pretty interesting photograph. Um, but, yeah. you know, the, the whole thing about it, uh, Tappers, is that what's very clever is um, Fazio, Tom Fazio, who's designed it, is that you wouldn't know that it's been built in a quarry. The first four holes or five holes take you and shield you from the view that is actually... Uh, after the fifth hole, it just opens up, and then all of a sudden, you see this spectacular golf course in this old quarry, which which he's utilised. It's pretty. It's pretty cool. Um, next one uh, was a golf course I've not really heard about much before on your list. It's in India, called yeah. Prestige. Prestige um, Golf Shire in Bangalore. Oh, it's It's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. It's uh, you know what I I, I can't remember who uh, designed it. But it's tough. It's um, it's there's a kind of like a massive lake uh, that's right next to it that fills up in the monsoon, and so this there's most of the holes, I like five or six of the holes, kind of like go down past that lake. But it's beautiful. It's right in the middle of, uh, of the of the countryside. It's got a backdrop. There's some holy mountains. I can't remember what the mountain range is called now. But this golf course sits right underneath that location. Next one is one that people will have heard of, TPC Sawgrass. Kev, we went there two years ago during the trip to the PGA show in Orlando in January, and we took the drive down to Jacksonville to go and, to go and play it. Um, yeah, what, do you, what were your thoughts on it? My only regret um, is that the grasses were dormant, and it did make for us you know, some interesting photographs, but I feel like that's a job that needs to be done again, especially as you can see from, you know, just recently, the changes that they've made, they've changed the grasses there. And um, at that time of the year, you know, how it looks now is completely different. So it would be good to have an opportunity to go back there and finish that job off because it is a spectacular yeah. golf course. Yeah, my, my, my feeling about it was that it was, it was so much fun to play whilst also being a really good test of golf. It doesn't have a bad hole on the golf course. Nice. I thought it was absolutely amazing. 
Uh, it was, and then uh, and then when you get to the 16th and you can see the 17th green, uh, and you know, that, I, even now I still get sort of goosebumps thinking about it. And I think that I would definitely put that down as one of my special moments in golf. Okay, well, so let, let, let's move away from sawgrass and go to, to pine needles and mid pines. Um, now, these, when I was looking through the photographs that you sent me, I thought these were some of the most stunning pictures that you had. Tell yeah. us a bit about them. For those that have not been to the Pinehurst area, you've got, I think, it's maybe 50 odd different golf courses there, all on that sort of sand built, built on that sand built. And um, um, a lot of them are by Donald Ross. So this is his kind of like playground. And, you know, you've obviously got number two as the as the course that uh, everyone wants to play. Um, and I, I had to do some photography there uh, a few years back of a guy called Tom Stewart, who owns a curiosity shop in the village. And he said, if you've shot number two, you've got to go and shoot these two golf courses. So he took me down there the next morning and I was completely blown away by both courses. They literally are opposite sides of the road to each other. I've joined as an overseas member. So we go out there every year. Showing off now. Well, yeah, but you know it is it's spectacular. Um, they've 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 had the uh, U.S. Women's Open there. I think it's three times. They got it again in two thousand and twenty-two. I think so. That alone gives you an idea of the quality of the golf courses if they can host that sort of competition. So, so uh, if you could only pick one of them to play, which would it be? Um, pine needles. Okay. Uh, next one. We're going to Spain now. And yes. uh, Lacala. You don't really get an idea, even from Steels, of how they've managed to build these three amazing golf courses up in the mountains above Mijas. And um, I mean, just from an engineering perspective, you know, to build those golf courses the way they've done, they have done, is is just amazing. And I love the place. I really do. The whole experience there, looked after on site. You know, great restaurants, good bars, fantastic golf courses. Um, it, it's it's pretty cool. And I think that's the reason why they include it. Next one, staying in Europe um, and a Bernard Langer design golf course. Again, one that you've seen right from the very early stage. Uh, it's one that I've heard a lot about but never been to. Uh, tell us about Costa Navarino. Yeah, it's a, an amazing experience. But again, the views are, are, are brilliant. And it's, there's also... The history there is because uh, it's got all the Greek history, ancient Greek yes. history. Um, and, and I'm a big fan of that. So, again, it's another reason for it. Um, but uh, I, I'm supposed to be going back out there this year. Obviously, with things going on, everything's been put on hold. But I'm, I'm hoping to get back to see how it's developing. There's another two golf courses being built in the area. Um, number five is your first open rotor venue. Yeah. Um, I've I've got a kind of like certain affinity with Royal Liverpool. So I first went to Royal Liverpool in 2006. I was up there shooting some other stuff, but uh, got invited to go there and take some photographs and play the golf course. Never played it before. But the reason why I put that in is because it's where I got my first hole-in-one on the 13th. But I loved Royal Liverpool. I loved it. It's a difficult golf course. You know, it's pretty flat. So from a visual point of view, you've got to work really hard to, to, to really get the, uh, the, the, the sort of dynamic photographs there. They've made some changes, which I'm really interested in seeing how they pan out. Um, yeah. 
new par three they're building there looks pretty spectacular, isn't it? It does. So again, I've been invited back, uh, hopefully later on this year, um, to record those photographs. Next one, Northern Ireland's Royal Countdown. <laughs> For a lot of people who follow golf in the UK, they will know Royal, Royal Countdown very well. Muzzle, what's your take on it? The, the experience of turning up at a golf course that's got so much tradition is really, you know, quite unique. You know, to see the, the, the dunes that are there, to see, you know, sort of how rugged that coastline is, was, was quite an experience for me first time round. My first trip there, the, the, another reason why it's because we're supposed to have played 18 holes with uh, Rory McIlroy. And that was, for me, what an experience that was with this young lad who's going to be, you know, the future of, um, of British golf. Tough, tough test of golf. You know, you've got those blind shots that some people complain about. To me, I love it. If you've got a caddy who's standing there telling you where to go and if your ball's okay, it's all part of that amazing experience. And it should be, if you get a chance to go, yeah, everyone says, even in the States, everyone comes over there and they want to play Royal County down. It's quite easy to see why once you get there. Well, for one iconic links to another one, Turnbury. Yeah, the Elsa course. Turnbury was my first championship golf course that I ever played. It was early days of my golfing career uh, back in 1987. I was playing off like 22, I think. I... I packed up all other sports and then got into golf. It's unbelievable. But the changes they've made, they've taken it from my favourite golf course into an even better golf course. You know, I didn't think you could do that. It really kicks in when you get to the ninth. You know, the ninth was a um, uh, was, was a great golf hole. Now they've made it into this pretty special par three. And then the tenth, which goes down, you know, is a dog leg left. They've made a few changes to that. I think they've made it longer. Uh, but then the next hole, uh, which was a good par three, is a, a, an amazing looking golf hole and plays very, very difficult into into the wind. So it's just little changes like that that have elevated it in my, you know, in my view, not just from playing, but also from a visual perspective. It's very, very easy to photograph. It's um, yeah, it's 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 wonderful. It really is. Yeah. Well, that leads us on to number one on your list. And. I mean, if you think that Turnbury is rugged down there when you get round the turn and you start playing the holes down by the lighthouse, there's rugged and then there's the number one on your list, which I've never been to it, Mother, but all the photographs I've seen, and I've seen a lot now, it looks like something from another planet. Tell us about Lotherton. So it's it's in Norway. It's in the Arctic Circle. It's right up there uh, on an island called Gimsoy. And I mean, just getting there is an experience in itself. But when you get there, you wouldn't expect to see a golf course there because the land is so rugged. And, you know, this is just golf at its purest. It really is. And the great thing about it is that the golf course kind of changes on a, on a yearly basis because it's right by the sea. You know, they might get a bit of erosion, which they've got to do more work on certain holes to kind of like reshape them, bring them back into the natural landscape. I have not hit one single golf shot there. I don't, I, you know, I don't need to. I'm, I'm purely there just to soak up the ap atmosphere, soak up the, the, the visual treatment, the, the spectacular treatment that, uh, that it offers. And then, of course, you've got the, gold, uh, the, the, the northern lights in the evening and the winter, uh, which I've only just experienced on a very small scale because you need to, you, you know, you don't need any cloud base. And every time I've been there, you've had the cloud base. 
But then also, um, we, you know, we've experienced uh, uh, midnight golf. We can tee off at midnight, which is really quite an experience because um, it's, it's, you know, 24-hour daylight. It's built on an old um, Viking burial ground. So there's a bit of respect to certain areas that they've had to um, be mindful of. But, you know, even if you weren't playing golf up there, just to go up there for that area, for the, to experience that area, yeah, is special. It really is. I can see myself going up there three or four times, hopefully in the future, just to experience it. So that's why it's number one, Tappers. Perfect. Well, I mean, hopefully that gives everybody some inspiration. So, Kevin Murray, thank you very much for your time. I will see you soon. Take care, Tappers. There you go. Some really interesting insight there from Kevin Murray. Uh, Elliot, what's the most spectacular golf course that you've ever played on? Oh, good question, Tom. Uh, the first one that comes to mind, and yeah, you know, it's actually not a question, is Old Head in Ireland, where uh, I actually played with you, Nigel, that day, didn't I? It was very rainy. I know, Tom, I think you might, Tom, you might have even took the money that day, but it's an absolute spectacular course. It's very expensive, but any golfer out there listening to this, it's worth the money. You, you simply have to go and play it. Tom, didn't you walk in after nine holes? Uh, no, I did not. Oh, okay. <laughs> I finished 18, but I think I, I finished second, actually. I think Dave Taylor actually Oh, uh, yeah. Dave yeah. was playing with me and Elliot, and he, he was playing really well in the conditions. Yeah. It, was, uh, <laughs> yeah. it, was, it was raining. It was so windy and rainy, we, we had to delay our tea time by a couple of hours. And it's on a peninsula on the southwestish coast of Ireland. And the, you're right at the top. It's proper cliff top. You, are, you have a couple of hundred feet drops to the sea. It was a bit, it was a bit bonkers, wasn't it? But I it was, mean, I remember the second part. There's a little par three, and it's about 150 yards, and I hit a full three wood. <laughs> <laughs> it was so windy. Was yeah, windy. but yeah, um, I was, was, I was hitting my drives 150 yards. Yeah, was standard. But um, <laughs> it was one of the, uh, it was one of the funniest days I've, I've had on the golf course. It was me, Neil Tappen, and Joel Tadman who played, and um, they set that fair play to old head. They sent us out. Uh, a hot sandwich when we were out on the some tea miles away from the clubhouse, and that I think that saved us. So um, it was a no, that was a great time. Nick, any, any other spectacular courses that you played at that you think need mentioning? I think I've been fortunate enough to play Valderrama, and it's absolutely stupendous golf course. Um, but in terms of setting, I think maybe somewhere like an Otavos Dunes or a Penalonga in Portugal. Mm. Really lovely golf. Tyvos Dunes has this lovely, rugged, wild setting right on the coastline there, and it's quite remote as you play down towards the turn. Really, really good golf course. And uh, Penalonga sets sort of slightly higher up in the mountainside, in amongst the clouds and the forests, and that's another beautiful course. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I've been lucky enough to play in Mauritius. I think the two Rock over there is is an amazing setting. The golf course is very hard, uh, but it's amazing that you can play almost like on a private island there. Uh, that's some place I'd always say. If anyone wanted to go for a golf trip, that would uh, tick an awful lot of boxes. And I suppose Augusta was all right as well, wasn't it? But, uh, I, need to, <laughs> I need to get that in every every week, don't I? So, um, yeah, some you know people love talking about golf courses, don't they? So um, that's some great chat. You can actually see the full video with some images of that conversation between Kevin Murray and Neil tapping on our on our YouTube channel. Just, just Google Golf Monthly YouTube channel, and you'll and you'll find the uh, the, the video there. So yeah, you, we you've played Augusta, haven't you, Nigel, as well? 
<laughs> yeah, 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 I have, yeah. Shut, shut it, Elliot. Don't, don't rub salt into the wound there, Elliot. Um, so, well, I think we're going to finish off just by, again, just by looking at ahead to the PJ Tour and maybe all golf for the rest of the year. Um, so, what we do know is that the first five events, as, as mentioned already, are not going to have any fans. Uh, so, there's this week, then the RBC Heritage... Uh, Travellers and then the Rocket Mortgage Classic. They have lost another event already, the John Deere Classic. Now, do you think there's going to be any other events which we, which are now on the schedule again, but we actually might lose? Well, uh, I was going to say earlier during our chat about Justin Rose's Ladies Series. So that was basically invented to gear up the women and get them a bit sharper for the Evian Championship, which was their next event in August. Mm. That's been cancelled today now, so... Yeah. Uh, that's another event that's gone. Uh, but obviously, America is a huge part of the world. So, you know, run by different federal governments or whatever. So yeah, anything could happen. But it's a shame that the John Deere has gone. And I think Muirfield Village is going to host back-to-back tournaments next month. Uh, mm. The second of which will be the Memorial with fans. Yeah, and that'll be something I don't think that's happened very often. If That'd be very yeah. weird. It's like, certainly possible that more events go off the schedule, isn't it? I mean, if you think about the economic impact of the virus and a company who's laying off, you know, X number of staff, it's not going to sit overly well with those employees that are then splashing out seven million on sponsoring a golf tournament. So we'll, we'll see how it plays out. But it wouldn't yeah. shock me if, if more events go off the schedule. Yeah. And, and if we look at the European tour, the schedule for the European tour has been, has been tweaked on several occasions now, but the one that is actually sitting on their website at the moment has the UK uh, series uh, of events from July through to August. And then there's not really any other event than suddenly till October um, when they have the Alfred Dunhill Scottish Open and one other, which I can't think off the top of my head. Uh, Wentworth's in October. That's it, of course, Wentworth. And... um, but there's suddenly lots of events which were on the schedule a couple of weeks ago have just suddenly just disappeared. Now, we don't know whether they're, they're trying to sort out other maybe groups of tournaments together over the coming weeks. There are gaps going to be there, especially in September and uh, November. Um, well, at the moment, November's just been left almost completely clear for, for Augusta at the moment. Um, and then the race to Dubai is going to be the race to, race to Christmas, isn't it? Mm. It's going to be 10 days before Christmas it's going to be very odd that we've got you know, someone's going to be crowned race to Dubai champion no order of merit winner really uh, for the European Tour so close to, to the end of the year um, so I hope that I mean I, I do worry about the European Tour schedule I mean the UK are doing okay out of this because they've suddenly got six events uh, you know in England and Wales we've got a couple more in Scotland so actually the UK have actually got 10 events haven't they is that mm. right? already which is fantastic for uk for golf and is fantastic for those venues who are able to host it um plus you know like the six for the justin rose ladies series as well there's gonna be suddenly a lot of golf in this this country i just worry about golf on the on the continent of europe uh where there doesn't seem to be that much being organized at the moment yeah especially with the the Ryder cup in italy in 2022 there's been a massive push for that event it's been a rolex series the last couple of years or three years uh, so you would have thought that that would have been one of the very first events back as well yeah it'd be interesting to see what happens to that obviously italy has had its problems with the coronavirus as well and like you said nigel sponsorship that could be something that 
could be quite difficult. Well, you think Italy and Spain are, are countries that haven't always fared the best economically over the, the last sort of decade or so. Throw in the fact they're very badly affected by coronavirus. Throw in the fact that companies over here and not in America probably have less sponsorship um, capabilities. And it probably doesn't add up to the, the most bright of futures for the European tour. So that's why I think Keith Pelley has been innovative and in trying to bring more English events back onto the schedule. But I mean, the real test will, will be seeing whether these events remain next year or whether they've just been played in England this year because these resorts are quite near to each other and have big hotels that can accommodate all the players and caddies. Uh, again, I feel like I've said this a lot today, but uh, we'll just have to see and wait and see how things play out. Only time will tell. But I, I am way more cynical, I suppose, or negative about sponsorship opportunities in Europe as opposed to in the States going forward. Yeah, it, I mean, it is odd, though, isn't it? You know, if you look at the, uh, the, the graph that we get sent every day about, and, and you know, and the, and the figures about how each country is being affected by, by the virus, you know, let's face it, the UK are not doing very well. And okay. You know, we're, we seem to be more affected than a lot of the other countries. So, I mean, I'm really hopeful that they're putting together almost a continental Europe kind of little series of events whether at which can maybe be played in like Germany, Spain, um, maybe France and maybe even Holland or something like that, yeah. where similar to England, you know, they're all going to be uh, on the same continent, as it were, and they can just travel quite easily between them. But yeah, Florian, Florian Fritz style, just driving around to every event in Europe. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, that, but that's obviously that's that's possible, obviously. In Europe. No, you're right. And things have obviously improved dramatically in the last month in Italy and Spain to the point where there were, I don't think there have been any new deaths in Spain from coronavirus for a couple of days now. So I'm sure they will be looking at that at that area. But historically, you know, companies have certainly over the last 10 or 15 years have preferred sponsoring events sort of away from continental Europe and more looking yeah. towards, you know, the likes of Asia. So the the paradigm shifted sponsorship will be very interesting to monitor off the back of this. Yeah, and and, and there are some big events which are now not on there. There's no Valderrama event at the moment, that's disappeared. There's no KLM Open. There's no European Open. There's no European Masters. You know, some big events at some big golf courses, which are usually really popular events, at the moment are not on there. So let's hope that they can actually um, get them. They're, they're sorting that out at the moment. Uh, because there's a lot of golfers with the, with the announcement of the world rankings restarting last week who were not very happy because the world rankings are restarting and they haven't got the opportunity to play golf at the moment. So um, let's hope that, that everybody gets the chance to, to, you know, to start playing again and uh, to re retain their ranking. Mm, absolutely. Yeah, that didn't go down well at all, did it, with the European Tour players? Interestingly, Matt Fitzpatrick was also very critical of it. And he is going to be benefiting from it restarting. Although um, it was said in the press release that there's a formula in place, so it's not too unfair for those not starting. But then I also agree with what the world ranking chairman, Peter Dawson, said, where, for example, John Rahm could go world number one this week. If he wins, it would be a little bit unfair for him to lose out on that opportunity if they didn't restart. I can see it from both sides, but I do think it's unfair. I, say, say I don't know who's 48th in the world at the moment, but say there's a European in 48th who then gets nudged out to outside the top 50 and misses out qualifying for the Masters, for example, you know, through no fault of his own. It's kind of not fair. No, really, that, that won't happen. The major qualification processes are based on the current ranking, which is week 11. I don't 
okay. could, he could make a difference okay. for next year, though, Elliot. He could make a difference. Yeah, definitely. You know, it's, you know if, if you know, those things will maybe carry over for only so long, and they're going to have to start looking ahead to 2021, which is fast approaching, strangely. And the Olympics, yeah. of course. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and you're losing ground through no fault of your own. I think is yeah. the point. And and also more uh, more pressing than that is the Ryder Cup, which we're going to talk about as the last thing today. Which is we're still not sure what's happening with the Ryder Cup. There's been chat between the players. Some players saying we don't want to have the Ryder Cup. There's no fans. Well, another one saying I don't care. If there's no fans. Let's just get it played and give the whole world a goal something to watch and enjoy. Um, at the moment, of course, PJ Tour are planning to have fans in a month's time. You know, one of the captains, Steve Strick, has come out and said he really doesn't think it should, should happen if the people from his home state of Wisconsin can't go and watch it. And we don't really know what's going on with the qualification either. You know, the majors were supposed to be a huge thing around the qualification for the Ryder Cup this year, especially for the American team. And, you know, there's only going to be two majors now before the start of the Ryder Cup. And one of them is the week before the Ryder Cup. So what is happening with the Ryder Cup? Do you think that we're going to find out something in the next couple of weeks? You have to think there's going to be an announcement by the end of this month. Because there's, yeah, that's so, what there's so, many said. Yeah, so many variables in play. And the, what, what I would say is that Wisconsin, I think, has been relatively, un, not unaffected, but its infection rates have been lower, certainly, than other parts of the United States. And Whistling Straits is a huge property, so it's not beyond the realms of possibility that there will be some fans there. I yeah. wouldn't say. I don't think. I don't think that's a totally bonkers thing to think. No, no um, not at all. Nick. I mean, the PJ Tour are trying to get fans in in a month's time. That's yeah. going to be in July. That's going to be a couple of months before the Ryder Cup. If that goes down and it goes down well and it goes down fine, then I don't see them being any reason why they can't do it. No, I mean we're golf. We're quite lucky in this regard, aren't we? We're lucky in that you can play distance and also the properties are so massive that in theory you can space out people on the premises. Yeah. Um, obviously it's not going to be to the same extent as years gone by and there's not going to be 10,000 people on the first tee but I think the Ryder Cup will go ahead and I think there will be fans and I think one of the main reasons why it will go ahead is because the PGA Tour is not going to want to lose out on the revenue and the European Tour certainly isn't going to, going to want to lose out on the revenue from the 2022 Ryder Cup because if this one gets pushed back to next year then Italy will get pushed back to 2023 and obviously it's a massive financial injection to the tours, the Ryder Cup so I think the European Tour will be quite desperate to keep that uh, Italy date in 2022. Yeah, with that announcement about the memorial, it does look likely that fans will be there. Uh, I've said this before, I don't think many fans from Europe will attend, but will the PGA of America and the European Tour really care about that? They'll just want it to go ahead. So, yeah, I think it's looking likely now. And Pelly did say last week that we'll get a decision by the end of the month. And you can't just keep pushing things back, can you? Because next, you know, you push back the Ryder Cup to next year, you push back the Olympics to next year. You know, it's just a, it's a very, very condensed schedule. You know, the golfing, the professional golfing schedule on a non-corona year is very, very condensed, isn't it? So we can't just continually push stuff back. At some point, we either need to play it or cancel it um, because of the knock-on effects that it's going to have going forward. Uh, and let's face it, the Ryder Cup has twenty-four players. Yeah. This yep. week, we're about to have a PJ Tour event which has 148 players. You know, the Ryder Cup is, is an event where social distancing should be much easier because there's fewer players and stuff like that there. So we'll wait and see on it. I, I hope it goes ahead. Um, I think it's something that we could all deal with and we could all look forward to, to having. But we do need some, some details of it, of course. But also, you think in terms of 
the progress that's being made on vaccines and drug trials, you know, September's still quite a long way away. And whilst I'm not suggesting that a vaccine is going to be ready to be rolled out in September, there may be, you know, much more efficient treatments for people who get coronavirus, thereby making it less risky to put people in one place. You know, we just don't know what the landscape is going to be in a couple of months time, but it's developing and changing so quickly. And I think progress is being made in a lot of areas. So, yeah, as I said, the, the, the landscape could be quite different in September than it is now. I, I like your positivity there, Nick. Uh, I, I hope you're right. We'll wait to see it. But um, I'm going to wrap it up there. Guys, thanks ever so much for your chat. That was a really good chat this week. I think it all very clear that we're all very excited about pro golf being back, and I'm sure that a lot of our listeners are as well. As ever, do keep up with everything in the world of golf at Golf Monthly's social media channels, at Golf Monthly on Instagram and Twitter, and Golf Monthly Magazine on Facebook. Uh, and, of course, the Golf Monthly website, golf-monthly.co.uk. And of course, you can also Google everything, and you'll find it that way as well. Guys, it's been great chatting. We will know the first winner on the PJ Tour event in three months next week, and we'll have a good chat about that then too. But until then, thank you all for listening.